welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's jump into the message today. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with us if you like. Um, the main scripture, uh, let's see if I can pull it up. It's found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, uh, 16, sorry, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, uh, verses 13 and 14. These two scriptures are kind of going to be pretty uh, foundational for this week and uh, the next week that I, I preach on this. And you'll see here, he says, be on your guard. That's kind of what I've been talking about over the past few weeks. We've been in the book of Daniel, looking at the life of Daniel, and uh, also working from Chris Hodge's book called The Daniel Dilemma. And uh, really the dilemma that Chris Hodges talks about is the dilemma of uh, here I am in a evil culture, in a pagan culture, in a culture that doesn't share my values, in a culture that doesn't share Christian values. And so the, the dilemma is, how do I live in this culture but not be of this culture? How do I actually influence the culture for good instead of letting the culture influence me? And that's, that's the dilemma that I think every believer finds themselves in. Uh, sometimes you find yourself in that dilemma at work. Sometimes you find yourself in that dilemma out on a date. Sometimes you find yourself in that dilemma at a party. But all of us are constantly uh, having to live with the tension, really. The tension, the balancing act of honoring God, of getting closer to Him, of pursuing Him, but also loving our neighbors. And our neighbors aren't like us, and our neighbors don't think like us, and don't act like us, and, and we engage with them. And so the great question is, how can we do that? Because Daniel did. Daniel did just that. Daniel was kidnapped at the age of 17 and taken to Babylon. Babylon was an incredibly pagan city. Uh, they worshipped all kinds of God. gods, had all kinds of decadence, had all kinds of idolatry and adultery and sexual uh, confusion. It was, it was a crazy place kind of like Austin. Uh, it, was, it was a bizarre place. And, and, and Daniel is taken there, and, and yet he is able to, as you read the book of Daniel, Daniel's able actually to not just survive his culture and keep his Christian or his, his Judeo values, uh, his, his Yahweh God. He's not just only able to survive, but he's also able to influence that culture. To where he ministers and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they minister to the kings that they serve under. And they change the age in which they live. They impact culture. They influence people. They, they, they help people see God. And so uh, what we've been looking at is really this first part of this verse, be on your guard. So in order to be able to influence culture, in order to be able to help people see God, we're going to have to be on our guard to be aware that culture is working against us. We have to see what the enemy is doing. Culture is not the enemy, but the enemy of our soul will use culture to try to destroy our faith. Am I right? Anybody ever experienced this? You get you listen to too many podcasts, you read too many secular books, you get you get your brain filled up with too much Netflix, and it starts eating away and eroding your faith. And that's not on accident. 
All right, the enemy of our souls, Satan, is using culture to bombard our faith, to, to try to destroy it in us, try, try to destroy it in our kids, to try, try to destroy it in our teenagers or college students. Like, like culture is, is working, the enemy is using culture to work against us. And so we need to be on our guard. And so the first week I preached on the, the, the well, really I've been looking at different battlegrounds. The first battleground is the battleground for, for your identity. So culture will try to re-identify you or re-label you. And that's what they did to Daniel. They renamed him. They gave Bel Belteshazzar, they gave him a new name. And that's what culture will try to do. Culture will try to give you a, a label and a new sense of identity. That there's a battle going on right now for your identity. And, and what we want for you is to believe that you are who God says that you are, not who culture says that you are. Because culture will identify you by your past, it'll identify you by your skin color, it'll identify you by your socioeconomic status, but God says something different, right? And so if you want to listen to that, go back and listen, but there's the battle for your identity, and then there's the battle for your beliefs, okay? So culture is trying to define your beliefs for you, to tell you what to believe, and yet the Word of God is our only, as Christians, the Word of God is our only source of truth, our only source of beliefs. And so we have to hold on to the Word of God. So be on your guard because every movie you watch, and I've preached on movies from time to time, and it's interesting just looking at the messaging within them. Every movie you watch is trying to tell you something to believe. It's not just entertainment. Every song you listen to is trying to tell you something to believe. And, and we don't want to pull back completely from culture and remove ourselves, but we want to be in culture, but so sure of what we believe that we are not impacted by what culture believes. Does that make sense? So be on your guard because there's a battle for your beliefs. There's also a battle last week. We talked about there's a battle for your worship. The enemy is after your worship, your adoration. Right? And worship is where you devote, fully devote yourself to something. And the enemy is after that. And culture will push you to uh, pull your worship away from God and toward lesser things. But we want to be worshiping only the true and living God. And by the way, we talked about last week how we are worshipers. And so we have our hands, we have our voices, we have our feet, we have all the instruments we need to worship God. Do you guys remember that? Was that, was that good? All right, you enjoy that? Okay, lovely. Everyone's just kind of like, uh. all right. So, um, so, 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 so today, so, so today, I'm going to talk to you about the battle uh, for your influence. The, the enemy is going to fight to steal your influence, and I think this is one of the great struggles that we have as Christians: is we 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 get solid in our identity, we get solid perhaps in our beliefs, we get solid in our worship, but then the enemy will try to steal our influence. And so, and so Paul says, be on your guard and stand firm in the faith. Can we all say this one together? Be courageous. All right, that was, that was really weak. All right, let's try that again. So be on guard, stand firm in your faith. Now all together now, be courageous. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Be strong. And then verse 14, this is what I'm going to talk about next week. Do everything in love. Because <laughs> that's the key, right? How do I be strong? How do I be courageous and still do everything in love? Because our culture really says that you have to be one or the other. You have to be strong and courageous and a jerk. <laughs> or you have to be loving and a doormat. Like the, these are your options. 
But once again, culture's lying to us. Why? Because culture, Satan is trying to steal your influence. Satan is trying to steal your influence because if you are either of those things, you will not influence those around you for the kingdom of God. And God has placed you in a particular family. God has placed you in a particular city. God has placed you in a particular job or at a particular school. God ordained for you to be where you're at because there's a particular circle of influence that he wanted you to have. And he wants you and me to influence those around us. Okay? So there's a battle for your influence, and the, and the battle really starts when culture begins to try to set up false paradigms. They say either you are courageous uh, or, you, or you are a doormat, either, and if you're courageous, then you're a jerk. You cannot do both of these things at the same time, but I believe that you can, and we've seen this. Actually, we've seen it at City Chapel. We've seen people be able to be both of these things. We've seen parents have discussions with their adult children about things, decisions their adult children are making that are not good for them, that are keeping them in bondage. And they had discussions with them and they continued to love them. It was amazing. They didn't judge them. They didn't write them off. They didn't tell them that, you know, that they're not going to love them or they're not going to talk to them ever again or don't come by my house if you da, 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 da. Like, it wasn't that kind of discussion. But it was, look, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what is true, and I believe you're do what you're doing is harming you. I believe what you're doing is keeping you in bondage, right? So you can have loving and truthful conversations. You can have loving and truthful interactions. You don't have to do one or the other. But our, our, our culture doesn't really necessarily believe that. Oftentimes our culture uh, actually believes that influence, and this is one of the things I think that our culture has done, is it has redefined influence for us. Influence is, is only achieved through commonality. Our culture basically says, uh, what's, the, what's the saying? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, Right? I've seen that all my, I don't know if Zig Ziglar, it sounds like something Zig Ziglar would say. Uh, I, I don't know who said it, but it, some, somebody said it. Well, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's just not true, all right? I, you need to add a word, like ridiculous people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, seriously, like if you were diagnosed with a brain tumor, like you've been in the hospital for a few weeks, your, your body's shutting down, they can't figure out what's wrong, they finally do some kind of scan and they see there's this massive brain tumor in the back of your head, it's gonna kill you within a week if you don't get it operated on, right? And so they, you find, you're, what, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go to the person who cares about you the most? Mom, can you grab the scalpel? It's back here somewhere, just start cutting. No, like I don't want my mom operating on my brain. She cares deeply about me, but she knows nothing about brain surgery, right? It's so what, what am I going to do? I'm going to ask, what's the, who's the best brain surgeon in the world? And uh, can my insurance afford them, you know? And then, and, and then like if, if, my, if, if it all works out, I'm flying to wherever that guy or girl is, maybe Chicago, I don't know. Like, and I'm going to be on life flight. I'm going to be like on those stretcher thingies. They're going to pull me in there, you know, and then they're going to wheel me in and, and they're, gonna, uh, they're, they're about to put me under and I'll be like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I haven't met him yet. I don't know if he cares about me. I mean, I really need to check this out because, you know, I've been in the hospital for two weeks. He didn't call me. He didn't send me any letters. Didn't come visit me. Like, you know, he totally didn't text me on my birthday last year. Like, I don't think this guy cares. No, you don't, like, you literally don't care how much he cares as long as he knows what he needs to know. 
I mean, if you've been to college, I, I, I went through a community college and then four years at Bible college. I don't know that my professors care deeply about me. They never spent friends giving with me or anything, but they happen to know a lot, right? Like it, it is a fool. It, it, it's a fool who can't learn from wisdom, who can only learn from empathy. This is foolishness. Like this, this, this is ch child level. Like, but when you become a man, when you grow up and become an adult, you realize that I can learn from wisdom. I don't always have to learn from somebody who just deeply cares about me. But David learned from Saul, right? And, and that was God's mentor to him. And Saul literally didn't care about David, okay? Uh, he cared about him in the opposite kind of way. Like, I hate your guts, right? I'm going to try to kill you. And yet, David was able to learn from Saul. David was able to honor Saul. Why? Because influence doesn't always come from intimate relationships, right? Because in this setting, you, you would never have the book of Acts, You'd never have the book of Acts if, if influence only came from intimacy, right? Certainly there is a kind of influence that comes from intimacy, absolutely. But Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and spoke to like thousands of people and told them about who Jesus was and what they needed to do. And what, 3,000 of them repented and came to know God? Did he spend time getting to know them at the coffee shop first? No. They didn't know if he cared or how much he cared or if he even cared, right? It, all they knew is that this person was standing up and speaking out the truth. And it was the truth that was influential. See, influence is not just, because you can actually be intimate. You can be close to somebody and have zero influence over them, right? Like you can know people, get to know them really well. Heck, they can be in your family. They can be your adult children and have zero influence over their lives, because influence doesn't just come from intimacy, right? I, I read something else uh, recently, which I, I, I'm going to do a, a, a long sermon series at some point, like a three-year-long sermon series of stupid stuff I see on Facebook. Like, it's just, that's just what it's going to be called. And, 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 I, and, and I saw this meme, and it was so dumb, I had to show it to Ro, because it said, it said, don't let anyone who hasn't walked a mile in your shoes tell you how to tie your laces. And I thought, well, if how do you parent then? And I'm like, oh, maybe that's it. That's, that's the problem. Like literally when I taught my son how to tie his shoes, I didn't walk a mile in them first because they literally wouldn't fit. I mean, he was like six years old. He were like a size five kids. I could fit four of my five toes in them. I'm not walking a mile in your shoes, bro. Like I'll tell you, like, because you have the same laces I have. Those little long stringy things. Yeah, like you stick one across the other, lap it, pull it under, pull it tight, hold your finger, make a loop, run the loop through the other loop, pull the other loop, and tighten it. Like that's what you do. Like I don't care if you got Nikes, Reeboks, or dress shoes. Like if you got laces, they're going to, like there are some things that are the same. But we live in a culture that says, well, you, first of all, you have to really get to know me before you can speak into my life. Which means we cannot meet people on the street like they did in the book of Acts and share Jesus with them. Right? So first off, there's that lie. You got to really get to know me. I just said you can really get for, for how long? Like a long, long time. Really long. Okay. Is this good? No, definitely not. I need to know how much you care. Bring me some brownies. Okay. Well, like, I, I, I don't understand. So like you have to get to know people really close, intimately before you can share Jesus with them. And you wonder why the church does such a poor job of sharing Jesus with strangers. Because the culture has said, hey, hey, whoa, yeah, yeah. And secondly, like, we have this weird culture that says, you can't judge me. You haven't walked a mile in my shoes? 
Don't try to tie my laces. The truth is, bro, like I can tell you how to tie your laces if I've never even seen your shoes. There are some truths that are universal. There are some moral boundaries that are universal. The Word of God is filled with truth that is universal. Like it was true 2,000 years ago and it's still true today. It was saving people 2,000 years ago, bringing hope 2,000 years ago to people and it's still bringing hope today, yeah. Like Jesus is applicable to everybody. I don't care if you were born in Indonesia or Austin, like if, if you were born in the 1500s or the 20s, like it doesn't matter. It's applicable to you because honestly, we're not that different. Well, you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been through. And you don't know what anybody's been through. But we all are going through the same human experience. Like marriage is marriage. And there's a way to love your wife. And there's a way to not love your wife. And the Bible will teach you about that. Children are children. They haven't changed that much. <laughs> like literally, in, in, in 7,000 years of recorded history, kids haven't changed very much. I mean, it was 5,000 years ago that God, that God uh, made his rules about children not talking back to their parents. Hello. That's not a, it's not a modern phenomenon. Rebellion, that's been around. Right? Ignorance, that's been around. Prejudice, that's been around. This is not new. Racism, that's been around. That's not new. Like, none of this stuff, none of the issues that we're facing in our world today. Danger, it's not new. Pandemics, definitely not new. All right, we've been through some stuff. I was reading about the, uh, the Black Plague the other day. Like, we've been through some stuff. That one was actually dangerous, like really, really dangerous. Like, like you die. Like, everybody dies. Kind of dangerous. I mean, literally. The first, the first variant, uh, the, the mortality rate was 60%. 60% of people who got the first variant of the Black Plague, this is a rabbit trail, but they died. 95% who got the second variant died. 100% who got the third variant died. They don't know anybody that survived the third variant of the Black Plague. It's basically, it's basically, it's close to COVID, but flipped. You know what I mean? The, the, the mortality rate. So imagine everybody that's caught, got, that's caught COVID that you know that survived, and then they all actually died in the Black Plague. And everybody who hasn't caught COVID yet, those are the ones who survived. The entire cities were changed. Families were changed. Churches, like literally you're, you're pastoring people. You have a church this size this week and it's half this size next week. And you got 50 funerals to do. I mean, it's brutal. You have, yeah, and, and these people have lived through these things. This is not unprecedented. Like nothing we're facing is unprecedented. And, and, and so, and so, and so the, the danger is our culture says, well, you know, you can't speak into my life unless you've ex lived my experiences. Oh, nobody has done that. So basically, the rule is don't ever confront me. Don't ever share anything that doesn't agree with me. And this is a very difficult place for Christians to be in. Because Christians, then you're on the job, you're at work, and there's a joke going around the office. And you feel the pressure to participate in that. Because if you don't, it's almost like you're judging them. Because if you don't, they'll look at you funny. They'll, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be holier than thou. You'll be telling them how to tie their laces. Truth is, somebody's got to tell, because they keep tripping, bro. Like, someone's got to tell them how to tie those laces. But, no, but nobody's allowed. Like, it's not allowed. And I just want to tell you that actually it is very much allowed. Our culture's lying to you. 
The influencers of our day do not pay attention to the fake rules of culture. The influences actually of every day have ignored the, the fake rules of culture that keep them from influencing others. Because this is ultimately what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants you, okay, fine, you're saved, okay, fine, you know your identity, okay, fine, you're worshiping God, great, keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. Don't share this with anybody. My goodness, you guys, you, you, you go ahead, meet in that uh, 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 warehouse or whatever you call it, the garage in your church, you know, sing some nice songs, uh, feel good about each other, maybe go to a small group and learn more about how you can be even more private in your faith. But don't tell anybody. Don't let it get out. And, and this is the opposite of what Daniel, Daniel and his friends, right? Last week we talked about the, the fiery furnace, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you were in, uh, if, any, if anybody ever been to church ever in, or even heard of church in their life, you've heard of this story, right? The three Hebrew boys, they, they are threatened with certain death. In fact, we have that passage in Daniel chapter 3 to show you. Uh, they, they, uh, the king erects a massive statue of gold. He commands everybody to bow down to it. They're going to play some music, and, and uh, they don't do it. So then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, calls them to him in verse 14. He says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, he demanded that you are refusing to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up because he was furious, Scripture says. And, that is, and that's so our culture gets furious if you don't bow to the same things they're bowing to. If you don't believe the same things they're believing. It's like, what did I do to you? They're ticked off. They're like, I can't believe that you're so, like, like they're so mad. And he, he can't even believe it. Is it true, oh Shadrach, Meshach, that you're refusing to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up? And he says, look, I'll give you one more chance when the music plays, if you fall down and worship the statue, all will be well. Uh, but if you refuse, you will be thrown into a flaming furnace within the hour. And what God can deliver you out of my hands at that point, right? You can, you can see the aggression with which the enemy is just so, like, it's, it's so, uh, the response doesn't equal the offense. These guys are just not bowing down to his gold statue. They're just serving their God. They're just going about their private faith. And he is so livid. He is so ticked off. He's, he's like, rah, you know, it's just like, and, and that's so the devil, by the way, a really big bark and a really small bite. I mean, he just gets ticked off. I can't believe that you wouldn't bow to this. I can't believe you wouldn't honor everything I've set up. I can't believe it. And so he says, look, if you don't do this within the hour, there are real consequences. And let me tell you, there's real consequences to standing up for your faith right now. Now, we're not, we don't have these kinds of consequences, although people around the world do. Christians recently, we've heard about in Afghanistan, but in China and in various other places that are facing decisions exactly like this one. And I don't know, I believe it might actually come to America. It might come to the place where we face decisions like this. You know, people have always asked me, well, how do I know if I would, if I would take the mark of the beast or not, right? Uh, <laughs> well, first off, you know, you, you know if you would die for God if you're, if, if you're willing to live for him. If you're not willing to live for him, you definitely wouldn't die for him. If you won't put to death your flesh right now, you definitely won't allow your actual flesh to die. Like, that, that's not going to happen. 
uh, a friend of mine, uh, a pastor friend of mine in Florida, he took a, a summer job, and uh, in his summer job, he was working with this this guy uh, who who was a Christian, and this this Christian uh, uh, coworker of his was convinced that the COVID vaccination was the mark of the beast. Oh yeah, it's the mark of the beast. Don't take it, man. Don't take it. Don't take it. It's the mark of the beast. Don't take it. If you actually believe that, we well, let's talk after service. Well, I'd love to meet with you and. Just, uh, just talk about the, the, the logic of that and the biblical literacy of that, actually. Because the mark of the beast is an actual thing in the book of Revelation. Um, it is not a vaccine. But anyway, uh, it's, it goes in your right hand or your forehead. So, anyway, I, maybe don't take the vaccine in your forehead. That would not be good, please. Do not allow them to inject that into your brain, okay? Uh, anyway, he's like, he's like, man, it's the mark of the beast. I'm never taking it. Don't ever take it. Like, we're going to make our stand. Christians are going to, like, because it affects, it changes your DNA. You're not even human anymore. He's like going to all this stuff. And, and so my friend's like, okay, well, I wasn't planning on taking it, but that's, that, okay, well, I don't believe that. You know, and so anyway, then the guy comes to work one day. He's like, oh, I took it. I took the vaccination. <laughs> And my friend's like, I thought it was like, what? And he's like, well, see, I found out. And so he's in Florida, and he has season tickets to the Miami Dolphins games. And he found out that they weren't going to let you watch the games if you weren't vaccinated. Dude sold his soul for the Miami, not even the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're not talking Tom Brady. I mean, at least get a good show out of it. Sold his soul. <laughs> for the for the dolphins I, I, I hope you mercilessly just laughed at I, like you know screenshots of hell and all kinds of, I mean I'd be I'd be handing him tracks do you know where you're gonna spend eternity I mean yeah he's gonna be in the Cowboys Stadium for eternity that's man oh but this is the thing like when we when we jump on these that's a cultural thing, right? Vaccination is the mark of evil. That's a cultural thing. It's not, it's not in the Bible. It's a cultural thing. When you jump into culture, culture will draw these fake lines for you, and you'll stand so strong until, uh, you know, season tickets to Miami Dolphins gets dangled in front of you. Come on, man. Like, if that's your level of faith, first, your level of commitment is always going to be locked into your level of faith. Right. So so when I talk about being courageous, one, that's why that's why I spent three weeks dealing with what your courage is about. You've got to be solid in your identity, solid in your beliefs and what the Bible says, because if you're just solid in what I don't know, Rush Limbaugh said or somebody like then, yeah, it's going to it's going to fade with the passing of time. You're going to see a better option. The Miami Dolphins like let's let's do that. You're going to, but if your faith is in the word of God, if it's in who, the nature, the character of God. So here's the thing, your, your identity will be defined. If you define it correctly, you'll define your identity based on the nature of God. And if you define your beliefs correctly, you'll, you'll define your beliefs based on the word of God. And if you define your worship correctly, you'll define it based on the worth of God. And, and, and if you define your courage, if you find your courage correctly, you'll find it in the faithfulness of God. This is what the Hebrew boys had to say to his response. I think it's the very next slide, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried <laughs> about what will happen to us. This is the place I love for all of us to get to. 
I'm not worried about what will happen to me. Because this is what culture does. You're standing in front of the fiery furnace. And I think many of us are standing in front of fiery situations, very hot situations. And, and the threat is real. And the consequences are real. Because you might get passed over for that promotion if you don't go out to the bar with the guys after work. The consequences are real, right? Uh, it's, you, you, you're on a date and this person might reject you if you don't do what they want to do. The consequences are real. Your adult children might not speak to you again if you share with them the truth of God's word. The consequences are real. Right? And so you're standing in front of these massive consequences and you feel the heat of that and you know that Nebuchadnezzar's not playing. You know he's not joking. You know he will throw you in. He's ticked. He will chuck you into that fire. And you know that the consequences are real and yet in the face of very real consequences, they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worried about what will happen to us. This is, this is one way that the enemy steals our influences. He causes us to be so concerned about what will happen to us that we are no longer focused on who God is and what he has said. Now we're living our life trying to hedge our bets, making sure that nothing that bad happens to us. And it steals our influence because in that situation, the best thing to do is just go along with the flow. The best thing to do is just, uh, you know, to lick your finger and see which way the winds are blowing and just kind of go with that. But, but these guys said, look, we're not worried about what will happen to us. How did they get to that place? Right there, our God is able. So their focus was so much on God. This is why courage uh, needs faith. Just simply courage by itself is not helpful, but you must have courage and faith. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit... In all of our situations, the fire that we're all facing, I just pray the Holy Spirit fills you with courage from the Holy Spirit, courage from his presence, courage from the fact, from knowing that you're not standing in front of that furnace alone. Remember when they chucked him in there, there was a fourth one that was with them in the fire. And that's exactly our position as Christians. And this is what the enemy doesn't want you to know. The enemy wants you to be so afraid of the potential consequences that you lose sight of the power of God in every situation, in every consequence. And I love that even just this week we were talking in prayer. And uh, one of the people that came to prayer, they were sharing with their coworkers. God, what, what did you say? God can fix anything. God can fix anything. See, when you're, now, 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 if you're concerned about losing your job, maybe you won't mention God. And maybe you'll just try to say, well, I'll just keep going along, you know, uh, keep walking another mile in your shoes because that seems to be working. Uh, you know, like, no, like may, may, maybe you just sort of go along with it. But if you're actually consumed with the power of God and what it is in your life that he's done, what he actually could do for other people and other people's marriages and other people's kids and other people's addictions and other people's depression, God can do anything. God can fix anything. God can bring anything back. And so these boys are so consumed with the nature and the character of God that they're not worried for themselves. They're not worried about how the outcome will turn out. I'm not saying they weren't afraid. <laughs> I'm not saying they weren't nervous. I'm not saying that they were like, oh, sure, let's just go into the fire. Like, I'm not saying that they, that's not, I don't think that's how they were approaching the situation. They understood the consequences. And I think they were pretty darn scared of getting burned alive. That doesn't sound like fun. And yet, in spite of... See, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is, is, sure, the presence of fear, but more so the presence of faith. 
faith in God, that our God is able, my God is able for me to have this conversation and still maintain relationship. My God is able for me to stand up for God at work and still provide for me financially. My God is able for me to do what he's called me to do and then for him to swoop in and do what only he can do. And so they were convinced of the ability about, uh, of God, the capability of God. Our God is able uh, to deliver us, right? And then it says, and he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. Now, first off, notice how polite they are. So I'm going to get to that next week. How to do all of this in love, right? They're not like, well, uh, first off, who are you? You're just some random king, right? They, they, don't, they don't dishonor him. They don't, they don't, they're not throwing shade at him. Uh, they said, look, your majesty, our God is, is able to deliver us. And in fact, he will deliver us. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, please understand that even then we will never under any circumstance serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have erected. Right? So they say God will deliver us. And they say even if God won't deliver us. And I love that. I love that confidence that either way, we win. This is where courage comes from. Courage comes from the realization that no matter what happens, we win. You cannot discourage somebody who knows that no matter what happens, they're going to win. What do you mean? Well, if they say, look, our God will deliver us. Meaning, if you throw us into the fire and we die, we're delivered from your hand. We'll be with God will be in heaven, will be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be in the resting place that God's prepared for us. So if you throw us into the fire and we die, then God has delivered us from your hand. But also, you may throw us in the fire and God may protect us within the fire and deliver us from your hand, right? So if, if, even if I get the consequence that I'm dreading, I still win. Even if you know, the prognosis comes back as cancer, I still win. Even if that cancer is never healed, I still win. See, this is, this, is, this is what culture doesn't want us to believe. Culture wants us to believe that there's a possibility that God might not come through. There's a possibility that your faith may be false and that everything you've built your life on may actually be sinking sand. And so there's a possibility that you might lose, that you might not win. But true faith says, well, okay, uh, if, if what, did, what did Paul say? If, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm alive, then I'm serving Jesus. And if I'm dead, then I'm with the Lord. Like literally, you cannot discourage somebody who realizes they cannot lose. That we are in a win-win situation. Or at Dunder Mifflin, a win-win-win situation. That's how that goes. <laughs> like, like, I, I've, I've read the book of Revelation. I've seen the, what God has said. And so this, this is how we can forgive people. This is how we can let, like, because to forgive somebody means to release them from ever having to pay you back, right? And so we can forgive people because God has already established justice. We believe he has at the end of time that everyone is going to be held accountable for everything that they did, for everything that they said and did in the body. God, the righteous judge, will take care of them. So therefore, I can release you to God because God's going to take care of it, because God's on my side, because God's with me. And so if I'm thrown into the fire, God's with me. If I'm outside of the fire, God's with me. If I'm standing in front of a gold statue, God's with me. It's the, the presence of God that gives courage, that lends courage to me. 
It builds up courage. The word courage is from French core, uh, which I think is from the Latin of the heart or the center. So I just pray that God stir up something in the center of you, in the heart of you, that rises up inside of you and says, look, with love and with kindness and with gentleness, I can't be silent about my faith. If, if, if the enemy can, can steal your voice, then he can take away your influence. If the enemy can convince you to be silent about your faith, then he can take away your influence. I love even just this week, I got a text message from somebody who was sharing with somebody else and they needed the, they needed the uh, Facebook uh, link to our church because they were inviting somebody to our church. I love that. What are they doing? They're speaking out at work. <laughs> I'm telling you, God, and, 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 and what's, what's fascinating is when we actually do step out, because I'm faced with these situations as well. I mean, I know I work with a lot of Christians. <laughs> right? So I, I haven't invited anybody at my work to come to City Chapel yet because so far they all come already. But, I, but <laughs> every now and then, when the weather is just right and the Lord just moves in their heart. Anyway, um, but no, like, I, it, it, but I'm also faced with this. Because the truth is, I can tell people what they want to hear, or I can tell them what the Bible says. I can, I, I can in, within counseling, within situations, marriage counseling, personal counseling, uh, or, or, even, or even just being friends with them on Facebook and seeing what they post, I can, I can be quiet about it and not rock the boat. And they'll keep coming and serving and tithing. Or I can say, I don't think that's good for you. Because the word of God says this, and this is what you're doing, and this is what you're saying. And it hasn't helped me win a lot of friends and influence people. <laughs> but it has actually helped me influence people. Because people know that I care about their soul more than I do about whether or not they're coming to my church or, or giving to the ministry. That the primary goal of my life is to influence you toward following God. Yeah, you're welcome. That's, and, I'll, and, and I'll always do that. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's my promise to you. That's my guarantee. I will always push you toward God. I will always challenge you to follow God. If I see you walking away from God, I'll text you. I'll call out to you. And I don't mean it to be offensive. I don't mean it to be uh, nasty. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be mean. I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be nice. And I'm going to say, well, don't you think that the word of God says this, and wouldn't this be... And I'm going to try to help you. But at the end of the day, it's your call. It's your decision, right? But, but my job is to speak into people's lives. And I'm not the only person that that's my job. That's also your job, is to speak into other people's lives. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to Bible college. It's okay. You can speak into other people's lives with what you know about God, right? Maybe it's God can fix anything. There you go. Maybe it's God still loves you. Maybe it's, I know that God is forgiving. I know that God is compassionate. I know, based on my own experience, that God will, will take you back no matter how far you've gone or what you've done. Right? You can share from your own experience, from the Word of God, that's true. So, let's just, let's just spend some time right now, as, as I've been just talking about courage and preaching about standing and fiery furnace of life. 
don't know, how, how many of you would just say, I, I, need, I need more courage? I feel like I haven't been courageous enough. I haven't been speaking out my faith. I haven't been sharing. Yeah, okay, awesome. About everybody. Folks online, hopefully you're raising your hands too. Yeah, and this is not a condemnation thing. It's not the, not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to let you know that the heart of God is for you to influence your family, for you to influence your friends, for you to influence those that are around you. Not in crazy, weird ways. You don't have to get a megaphone and go on the corner of the street. <laughs> Which actually, those things attract Christians. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's like, they don't really attract unbelievers. It's like Christians are, oh, good for them. They're standing up for their faith. I'm going to go to that church. It's like, well, okay, yeah, but, but are they really speaking the truth to people? Are they having hard conversations? Are they standing in front of the fire of potentially being overlooked for a, for a promotion at their job or being rejected by a boyfriend? Are they standing at that fire and still speaking the truth, the word of God? Because it is the truth that brings influence. So I guess technically from a megaphone, truth could work. God uses truth in several ways. But truth is the key. And so, Father, right now, I just want to pray over you and those watching from home. Father, I pray for these ones that raised their hands. I pray that you would, by your spirit, by your presence, so fill their heart, the core of them, that courage would rise up inside of them, that they don't have to be afraid of the fake rules of our culture, the rules that were made in order to keep them silent, in order to rob them of their influence, but rather that they would stand up for you, that they would stand up in gentleness, in kindness, in compassion, that they would stand up knowing who they are in Christ so that they're not all defensive, so that they would stand up knowing what they believe, from the word of God, and they've actually read it themselves, and they've actually come to that conclusion themselves, that they would stand up knowing who they worship, and how worthy he is, and how great he is in their lives, and that their lives would reflect that in such a way, so that when they open their mouth, their, mouth, their words have power, so that they live like Daniel lived, so that they can speak like Daniel spoke. So that their lives are consistent with what they're saying. Their Facebook posts are consistent with what they're saying. Lord, that you would use all of our spheres of influence, whether it is Facebook or Instagram or social media of some sort, that that, that wouldn't just be about our self-expression, but that that would be about uh, directing people toward God. That our conversations wouldn't just be about self-expression, but it would be about directing people toward you. That people would get close to you because they came close to us. Father, bring even, even this week, I pray that you would open up doors. That you would open up doors. In other words, you'd make it easy for us, is what I mean. <laughs> just give us a handicap if you could. If you could help us out. Give us a hand. Let somebody just come up to us or let us be around somebody who's dealing with something that we could speak your truth into. And Lord, for those of us that have situations where we know that we need to speak to somebody and we know that we need to have a gentle confrontation, I pray that you would give us wisdom and give us assurance of your presence that you're with us in the fire and that actually it all works out really well. At the end of Daniel's story, Nebuchadnezzar stood back and said, wow, the God of heaven, this is the real thing. 
And then it says that he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The path to promotion, the path to favor is right through what we're so afraid of. Lord, may we, may we boldly, as First as Corinthians, boldly stand firm in our faith and be courageous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I look forward to the stories. Text me or, or email the church, pastor at citychapelchurch.com. It work. Let me know how God uses you this week. Join us for prayer. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then special worship on Wednesday night. Uh, have a good week, everybody. Stay, stay warm. Actually, it's probably summer now. It was, it was winter this morning. It's summer this afternoon. So we love you. Have a, have a good day.
so damn long. The fog is like I be seeing my god. Yeah, it's just me and my dog. Whole squad is scared of handling me beef. Please don't let them try to let us on the leash. Everybody really trying to mess with belief. I body anybody, anybody wanna see. Go there, let's hop down. I don't care. I ain't walking around here with a fair nowhere. Don't worry, I ain't going nowhere. So you know I know you don't fight fair. Nah, 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 we don't fight fair. When the lights on, the darkness is gone. This is a war that you cannot win. Must keep in mind that you're just a pawn. You will never feel my freedom. Be embracing love. 